0: carrying on our series in Mark. Um, It's interesting how much higher I need to have it M than you. (laughs) No comment about that. Um, Last week, Julie spoke about um, the transfiguration and uh, what happened with Jesus then. We're going to be carrying on on our series today. Mm. So, I think we have a PowerPoint. Yeah. Oh, You can't see the words amazingly clearly. It says, there are no ifs. Um, And I just... That's what I've called today's sermon. And you'll understand as we go through it why I've called it that. When I was between the ages of 15 and 20, um, I used to go to something called Stonely Bible Week. Uh, who, Who here knows what a Bible week is? It's cool if you don't, because I'm going to explain it to you. So basically, a Bible week is like church on steroids. It's basically a whole week, every day, uh, going to church in the morning and in the evening, and then like seminars in between. So if you're really holy, you go to the early morning prayer meeting before the meeting even starts, and you go to all the seminars in the afternoon, and then you go to one in the evening as well. But added to that, you end up camping for a whole week. Uh, So... uh, The added side of that is you have to queue in the morning for a shower. When you get to the shower, you're not totally sure whether the shower is actually going to be warm or not. If you get up really early, you're definitely guaranteed a hot shower. If you get up not so early, you're guaranteed possibly a cold shower and uh, probably slightly muddy feet because everyone has traipsed from their tent with their muddy feet and stepped into the shower cubicle. You also eat tinned food all week. I'm really painting a great picture of this, aren't you? Aren't I? Anyway... Uh, we, I used to go every year without my parents uh, from kind of the ages of about 15 to 20. And it was the most amazing time, like concentrated time in the presence of God. I mean, that worship this morning was beautiful. And it was like that, basically just being in worship and being in God's presence, uh, like it felt like for the whole week. And if I'm totally honest with you, when it came to the end of the week, I was like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to spend time with the people that are in my life at home because I just want to stay here in God's presence. But as I grew older, I realized that actually for God to make any use of that precious time that I'd had with him, saturated in his word and saturated in worship, actually I needed to go back into the world. And Julie spoke a little bit about this last week, didn't she? She was talking about um, how, well, the passage was about, I didn't hear it, but the passage was about how um, Peter, James, and John had gone up with Jesus onto the mountaintop and had the most incredible experience. And Peter had said to um, Jesus, listen, I'm just going to build a shelter for you, for Elijah, and for Moses, because I just want to stay here in this lovely place. But Jesus said, no, come on, we're going back down from the mountainside. We're going back down to where the people are. And so that's where um, we land our passage today. So we're going to read from Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. If you would like to have a Bible and you haven't brought one with you, uh, pop your hand up and Emma's going to be our Bible monitor. Here comes one over here. Anybody else want one? If you don't have a Bible and you would like one... Uh, then please do take it home and have it as a gift from us. Um, it's also going to come up on the screen. She's coming. Put your hand right up and you have to give her a big wave. There's one over here, Emma. Challenge Annika. <laughs> Challenge Annika. Some of you will remember Challenge Annika. Some of you won't. <laughs> Who remembers Challenge Annika? Oh, there's probably too many people in our church to remember that then. <laughs> okay. So, you can turn to Mark 9, verses 14 to 29, and let's read. It's going to come up on the screen too. Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. When they came to the other disciples, just as they've come down from the mountaintop, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. <laughs> and I, Whenever I read this bit, I'm kind of imagining what how Jesus was saying it. Was he saying... Oh, you unbelieving generation. was he like, you unbelieving generation. I don't know how he was saying it, but you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind come out only by prayer. Do you know, as I was reading this passage afresh yesterday morning, something stuck out to me that I hadn't noticed before when I was reading it or hadn't... um, didn't feel like it was a particular point that I wanted to make, but I feel like it might be for somebody here today. And it's that bit where it said, uh, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And I wondered whether there might be someone here who feels like they have a hopeless situation or they're in a hopeless situation. And actually you feel like it almost looks like the situation's dead. But actually, Jesus wants to reach down, take the situation, take you by the hand and stand you up. And if that's you, we would love to pray with you this morning. So before I go any further, I just want to make sure that I um, address one of the misconceptions that we might have having read this passage, or maybe even a misconception uh, that I kind of came to mind as I was reading this passage. And I kind of want to make sure that we're, we're clear about it. And so... It sounds to me, and I don't know whether it sounds to you, like this boy has epilepsy. Is anyone else thinking, oh, that sounds like epilepsy, what's happening with this boy? But what I want to make sure that we realize is this boy didn't just have epilepsy and that every person with epilepsy is not demon-possessed because we could easily jump to that conclusion, and I don't think that is um, what the case is. He does have epilepsy. He's also deaf and mute, but also there's something else at play. How do we know there's something else at play? Because when two opposing forces come together, there is a reaction. And it was interesting. A friend of mine recently said to me, Jude, I didn't realize that you believed in the devil. I didn't realize you believed in another force apart from Jesus. I said, I do. And I want us to realize that, you know, when... When the um, boy is brought to Jesus, when he, the evil, the the spirit is confronted with Jesus, that's when there is a reaction. And so it's like the um, negative energy in the clouds with the positive charge clouds. When those two forces meet, what do we get? Lightning. There's a reaction. And as this boy, as the spirit in this boy is brought to Jesus, there is a reaction. So we know that there's something other than just a medical thing that's at play within this boy. So I feel like I wanted to bring out three different things from this passage. And the first one is solitude, not solitariness. I was um, on Facebook the other day. I spent too much time on that ridiculous social media Um, Avenue, anyway. And um, I was reading from a guy called Pete Gregg. Actually, we mentioned him this morning. He is the author of 24 7 Prayer. Um, He is a world renowned speaker and came to speak at one of our things. And he was writing um, a kind of post about tiredness. He had just finished eight days worth of kind of Bible weeks, like spending time speaking to people. He'd spent um, a day speaking to a thousand people in a cathedral. He'd spent some time speaking to 2,000 people in a circus tent, and he'd spent some time speaking to 30,000 people in a couple of fields. That was over eight days. And he said one of the things that he does when he's absolutely exhausted and he's spent a lot of time giving out is he goes low. In other words, he comes away from the crowd, he comes away from all the people, and he finds time on his own with Jesus. And don't we see Jesus doing that time and time again in the Bible? Before he's about to speak to somebody or after he's spoken to someone, he goes and he finds somewhere quiet to spend alone with his father. And that's what we see has happened in this passage. You know, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg kind of situation because to be able to be effective with the people, we need to spend time with our heavenly father. But to be able to spend time with our Heavenly Father, we need to not be with the people. And uh, for me, I feel like it's a massive challenge to have time on my own with Jesus, to have solitude. Because I'm an extrovert and I love being around people, it's very difficult for me to take myself away from where things are happening. Abby's laughing. She knows exactly what I'm like. She works in an office with me. And, and take myself away to spend time with Jesus on my own. But, you know, as I've um, been committing this year to making sure that I try and read through the Bible in a year, God has been really using that and speaking to me. Because, you know, in those times we get to know what Jesus would do in situations. As we read his word, we see, what did Jesus do in that situation? Or what did he not do in that situation? As we spend time on our, lear- on our own with Jesus, we get to know who he is and what he's like better. You know, as I've been married to Archie for nearly 14 years, woo, um, as, that, as time has gone on, I've got to know him even better. And so now I know when he is about to pray even. So I could tell when we were all gathering around here, Archie wants to pray because I know him so well that there's something that he always does before he's about to pray. He probably doesn't even know it himself. (laughs) Because I know him so well because I've spent time with him and spent time in his presence. If we spend time in the presence of Jesus, we're going to know what his will is. And we need to be able to do that to be effective with the people that we come into contact with and with the things that happen in our everyday lives. Uh, recently, Archie and I were watching a really cheesy Christian film. It was like an American film on Netflix. And uh, in this film, it was about this girl who had gone to university, and she was doing a master's, or not master's, major, that's what they call it in the States, isn't it a major in biology. And for the major in biology, it was all about evolution. And it was about her journey through working out what she believed for herself and not just taking on what her parents had kind of taught her. And there's this moment where her and this um, love interest, I suppose, um, they were having this conversation about faith. And he said, he kind of challenged her, and she said, don't you believe that I'm a Christian? And he said to her, it depends whether you came to Jesus through addition or submission. And that has really stuck with me this week because is our time with Jesus in addition to our lives? Is it like an add on to the side of what we do every day? Or are our lives submitted to Jesus? Are we submitting our days? Are we submitting our time? Are we submitting our work? Are we submitting ourselves to Jesus? I feel like it was really interesting that we were singing, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. And then Emma prayed that as well about that being an every morning thing. What I want to really encourage you is think about whether Jesus is an addition to your life or whether your life is submitted to Jesus. Are you spending time reading his word, worshiping him, and like, soaking in his presence every day so that the rest of your life looks completely different? So not we don't need to just be solitary. We don't need to just be on our own with Jesus. But we also need to make sure that we put that into action. In Matthew, in the Great Commission, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's about being with Jesus always. But he doesn't say, go and sit in a little holy huddle. Go and stay with all the people in in your church and be a nice little huddly community. He says, go and make disciples. Go and be with people. He doesn't say go and stay on your own or go and stay in your little holy huddle. Go and make disciples. So we don't really have a choice. We need to go and be where people are. Jesus came down the mountain to the people. He came down the mountain to where the people were. In one of the commentaries I read, and I love this, it says, The solitude is necessary, for a man must keep in contact with God but if a man in his search for the essential solitude shuts himself off from his fellow men shuts his ears to their appeal for help shuts his heart to the cries of their tears that is not religion the solitude is not meant to make us solitary but better able to meet and cope with the demands of everyday life who are we spending our time with in our time alone with Jesus, are we asking Him, "Who is it you want to be, uh, me to be spending my time with?" Every Wednesday, uh, we have a cupper in our village, which is basically um, a whole load of uh, people from the village who meet up, have a cup of tea, and a fine piece. Um, it's the local church that put it on and it's, it's just a really lovely time uh, to be able to get to know people and I've been going since my children were really little and they were there as well now they're all at school us mums still go and have our cup of tea together and have a good old chat and I've always said that it's a priority for me the only times I ever don't go is if I'm preaching because I need that uh, time to be able to prepare but the rest of the time I always say that is a priority in my week to spend my time with those people. What I want you to hear is they are not a project. They are people that I love. They are people that I care for. They are people that are my friends. But because they're people that I love and because they're people that I care for and because they're people that are my friends, I want them to know about Jesus. I felt challenged the other day. I was thinking, when I get to heaven, when I stand before Jesus, what if my friends see me there and say, Jude, you never told me. Jude, you knew this all along and you never told me. I don't think I was going to cry. We're big softies. You know, we have a responsibility to share Jesus with the people around us. Because I don't want to, and I'm sure you don't want to, find yourself in heaven and somebody saying to you as they're queuing up at the pearly gates, why did you never tell me? You knew, why did you never tell me? Who are the people that God's putting in your life? The other thing is, when Jesus came down the mountain, it says that they were in wonder at him and now you could think well of course they're in wonder at him he'd just been up the top of the mountain and he'd been dazzling in white and he'd looked completely different of course they're in wonder at him but it's probable that he actually didn't look any different by the time he got down the mountain because he'd said to the disciples don't tell anybody don't tell anybody what's happened until i've risen again and so it's probable that he was just looking normal But I got thinking, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if my time with Jesus, my time with my Heavenly Father, actually made a difference to what people saw in me? And when I walked into the room, they're like, wow! Not because of who I am, but because of Jesus in me. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all had spent so much precious time with our Heavenly Father that as we walked into a place, people could see Jesus through us? And I guess that's our prayer for you as a church. Or for us as a church, should I say. So the next thing that I want to pull out from this passage, if I can pull myself together. Um, I don't know why I put makeup on on a Sunday. (laughs) This is a ridiculous idea. Okay. The next thing that I want to pull out of this passage is... um, Satisfaction from dissatisfaction and disillusionment. Most of you are aware that we've had an extension in the last few years, and as part of our extension, we had this beautiful decking that was built uh, outside our house. And it goes basically went all the way from one bit of fence all the way to the other bit of fence. And when it was made, I was so satisfied with it. I was like, this is amazing. Imagine the barbecues we can have on here. Imagine the people that we can have around. We can look over our incredible view because we're at the top of the hill, so we have a lovely view. This is so satisfying. I'm so pleased with it. But it wasn't very long uh, until we found out that actually, who knew this? Apparently, you have to have planning permission for any decking that is above 50 centimetres off the ground. And we live on a hill, so our whole hill, our whole garden is basically a hill. So if we ha- had have gone less than 50 centimetres, we probably would have got about a step outside of our house, and that would have been the decking done. <laughs> there wouldn't have been any more. And so, quickly we realised that we were going to have to make some alterations to our decking. And, uh, to be honest with you, I became extremely disillusioned with this jolly decking, and dis- extremely dissatisfied with it, because no longer did I feel like I could go and sit on my decking and enjoy it, because other people who will remain nameless in the surrounding area weren't so pleased about our decking, <laughs> so it turns out, and I did, I did, like my satisfaction with it so quickly changed to dissatisfaction and disillusionment with this jolly thing, uh, and Actually, it's probably been about a year's worth of process, isn't it? And finally, we had planning permission for our decking. We had to make alterations to it. But I have to say that now I'm going to have a whirly gig as well as decking. And I am so extremely satisfied with it uh, that my disillusionment and my dissatisfaction has turned back to satisfaction. And we can enjoy it now, and we can sit on it. We've even had a glass of wine on it this week uh, because we can sit on it knowing that we have full planning permission and it's totally okay for us to use this decking. And, uh, and everyone like, else likes it too. Everyone else is satisfied too. And I wonder this morning whether some of you are feeling dissatisfied with something in your life. Or feeling disillusioned with something in your life. And God wants to bring back the satisfaction. And God wants to bring back you from that disillusioned place. You know, Jesus came down from having this amazing experience on the hillside with his heavenly father to a crowd who had been drawn to the fact that the disciples hadn't healed this boy of this evil spirit. And then not only that, he'd come down to nine of his chosen people. Three of them had been up the hill. Nine of the people that he'd been doing his journey on that he'd specifically chosen to come and be with him and work with him and minister with to minister with him too, No. Minister with him. Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> I can't think of the right words. Um, he'd, these were his chosen people. And when he'd come down from the Mount, they hadn't been able to do what he had set them on task and given them all power and authority to do. He must have been so disillusioned and dissatisfied. And then not only that, the teachers of the law and the scribes were having a feast and a field day in this moment and arguing... And also the dad was like, oh, totally disillusioned with the fact he brought his son to Jesus. And, and Jesus wasn't there and his the disciples hadn't managed to do anything. And so in that moment, Jesus was like, and he said, oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. How did Jesus deal with his dissatisfaction and his disillusion in, in that moment? He dealt with what was immediately in front of him. He dealt with the boy. And I wonder whether some of us are feeling disillusioned with the world that we live in. Maybe we're feeling disillusioned with the village that we live in or the community that we live in. Or maybe, just maybe you're feeling disillusioned with the church. I can understand that. We're imperfect leaders for sure. But God is calling you to deal with what is immediately in front of you. And so if it's that you're feeling disillusioned or dissatisfied, with your community, why don't you try and make a difference with those immediately around you? Don't build decking. That wouldn't be the idea. <laughs> wouldn't be the ideal way to build community. Um, unless you invite them all around to enjoy it. <laughs> uh, or, you know, if you're feeling dissatisfied or disillusioned with an area of the church, and it's maybe the area that you're serving in, make that the best that it possibly can be. Because I promise you, is that as you do that, you will find that your disillusionment and your dissatisfaction turns to satisfaction Mark um, Forbes who was our operations manager used to always say be the solution and I love that it's so easy for us to find problems isn't it? but wouldn't it be even more awesome if we decided we were going to be the solution to that problem not only that but obviously the, the father of the child was feeling disillusioned in that moment How do we know that the father was feeling disillusioned in the moment? Because originally, he brought his child in faith to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. And so he, the disciples tried to cast out this evil spirit, and it didn't happen. And so then what we know is he's disillusioned with Jesus because he says this. He says, if you can do anything take pity he was doubting whether God had the power to change the situation for him interestingly it's a massive contrast because in chapter 1 verse 40 there's the leper who was the complete opposite way he said "Um, I know you can if you have pity make me clean so he was wondering whether or not Jesus had the compassion but he wasn't doubting Jesus's power Do you know, it's so easy for us to get disillusioned with Jesus because of what we see in each other or what we see happening in the church or what we don't see happening. But we have to bring our disillusionment back to Jesus because it was him that made the difference. It was him that as the uh, boy came into his presence, the evil spirit left. Which brings me on to our last point. Honesty and hunger. Honesty and hunger. I love a pretty PowerPoint. (laughs) I spend ages on pretty PowerPoints, but I do love them. Um, So the dad was honest about where he was at. He said, I believe, but I also have unbelief. Because he says, help my unbelief. I believe, but I also have unbelief but he says, help my unbelief. So he's hungry for God to help him with his unbelief. He's hungry for more faith in this moment. This might be when I cry. My brother and his wife. Are expecting a much-longed-for baby. Uh, they had their 12 week scan about six weeks ago and they were told that their baby won't live that their baby will either die in the womb or their baby will die when it's born I could go into lots of detail about that, you don't need to know the detail but I would ask you church to be praying with us and alongside us for my brother and his wife but the thing that has struck me, and this is where I'm being totally honest about where my faith level is. It was about, I don't know, maybe two months ago that I preached about Jairus' daughter. And I said, it's never too late for Jesus. Because Jairus' daughter was dead. Like that, Humanly, that is too late for Jesus. And to be honest with you, humanly, it's too late for Jesus to do anything with my brother's baby. <laughs> and I kept saying, but God, but God. And you know that every time they've had another scan, my brother has gone up to the consultant and said, I believe everything that you've told me about my baby, but I believe in a God who heals. Can you rescan my baby? They've had seven scans, and no scan has showed any difference. And so that is an honest struggle for me. And I've had to wrestle with, Actually, am I like the leper who says, I know you can heal, but, but are you going to? Or am I like this man who says, if you can heal, have pity? And I think I have come to the conclusion, you'll be glad to know, that I believe that God does have all power and authority to heal my brother's baby. And it's up to him whether he does that. They have a whole load of wrestling that they need to do. Do they prepare a nursery in faith that they're going to bring their baby home? Or do they prepare a nursery knowing they probably won't be bringing humanly their baby home? It's a faith journey, isn't it, that we're on. But God says it's okay to be honest. It's it's here. The man says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because, do you know, church, I'm hungry to believe and to see my brother's baby being totally healed. And my brother, in his moments of strength, says, Isn't it amazing that we have so much proof that this baby isn't meant to live, that when God does heal it, everyone's going to be so shocked. And in his other moments, he'll be like, Gosh, what do I actually even believe? Because we, we can be real with Jesus, but we can also say, Jesus, I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. And in that, in that honesty moment, you know, there's that bit at the end, isn't there, where the disciples say to Jesus, they say to him, um, how comes, like privately on the side, how comes we couldn't heal that evil spirit? How comes it didn't happen for us, Jesus? Jesus. And Jesus said, only by prayer. And in some manuscripts, it talks about only by prayer and fasting. And it feels like there's a whole other sermon in there to do with prayer and fasting and denying ourselves. And some people would say that it's because they were told that they, um, because Jesus is with them, they didn't need to fast and some people would say that it's because they weren't fasting that, that they didn't see that, some commentators would say. Other commentators would say it's because they weren't in constant communication with Jesus and they kind of lost their way a little bit because God had given them all power and authority, but because they weren't walking close to Jesus, they weren't able to use it. And I felt quite challenged about that. You know, that I'll, maybe you've been gifted in some area of, of um, ministry. Maybe you've been gifted in your work life, maybe you've been gifted as a worship leader or as a preacher, but unless we're in constant relationship with our Heavenly Father, and unless we're constantly uh, with Him and in His presence, we can lose that gifting. We can still be, they could just be empty words. I could be speaking a whole load of empty words to you today because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If I have a relationship with Jesus and if I'm in constant communication with Him, then because of him and me, my words can be powerful and effective. I was thinking about dear Archie, and when he comes and speaks to us, and when he has that moment of, I say when he cries, like I haven't been an absolute blubbering mess this morning, but when Archie speaks about Jesus and the power that the cross has and the resurrection and the gospel, because he is so deeply convicted and knows that that is so real for him, you can tell it when he speaks and he's anointed in that moment. And so I want us to think about, am I spending time with Jesus to make sure that he can use my gifts in the most powerfully and effective way? And so, the, so this is me just being totally honest about where I'm at in terms of what I believe. But what I also want to be totally honest about, with you about is I am hungry for more. I am hungry for people to walk in our building and to experience the power and the presence of God that is life-transforming. I am hungry for people to come into our church that are ill or unwell and for us to pray for them and see complete transformation. I am hungry to see my little niece or nephew totally made whole. And so if you feel like you're up for being honest in this moment about having a hunger for more faith I'd love you to stand and I want to pray for you so if you if you know like me that you you believe maybe you don't believe but in this moment you're saying actually I do believe but I also have unbelief and God I want you to help me in that then just stand now just where you are just stand now and I'm going to pray